Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, uh, drinking his protein shake, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, Cameron McCoy. Dude, how you doing? Good, man. And please, that's an ice latte. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. You just you just put a little you just put a little powder in there get it get it to where you can get those gains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I like it. The gains. I like it. <laughs> uh, dude, how you been? Uh, good. It's been a kind of a crazy busy week. Uh, so and sadly, it hasn't involved magic. You know that's okay. And as we've talked about before, you and I kind of alternate busy seasons. Mm-hmm. It's one of our strengths, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um. I've been playing a lot of magic, like a lot of magic, so you don't have to. And uh, so, I mean, I do, and we will kind of have tournament story time with Curtis. I haven't actually talked about a live paper tournament in a while, so I'm pretty excited. I'm excited, yeah. Um, but at first, I want to hear what you've been up to. Yeah, dude. Uh, you know, I mean, there hasn't been a lot. Like, I've, I've been playing just Explorer here and there. Um, and I will say, I think the the it seems to be, and you, you might disagree, in a pretty, I want. I don't know if I would say healthy place, but it's in a stable place. It seems like it's in a good place. And as they keep on dropping more and more of these cards from whatever <laughs> sets they're going to be doing, um, I'm looking forward to it. And so it, it's not perfect, but it's getting really close to that Pioneer thing. And um, I don't know. I, I've just been thoroughly enjoying my time playing against a wide variety of decks. Um a lot of a lot of blue white X type decks I'm starting to see where people are starting to get into Jeskai, starting to get into um, Esper, and sometimes even Bant, which I find interesting. But there's a lot of different things you could do with like the ramp side of things for control. So um, you know, and they're all kind of variations on past control decks that I've seen. Um, and yeah, man, I just I I'm really liking where it's at. I, I still think blue white is the best way to be going. Yorian. Sadly, it's probably still the best way to be going, but there's a lot of room to kind of play and tweak it to your own play style. Yeah, I, in my experience with Explorer, I feel like the pack, the much maligned Explorer pack has had a massively positive impact on the format. Uh, It makes me very desperate for them to get to full Pioneer. Um, I sat down earlier today and I was like, okay, I'll get spirits together. I was a few more wild cards off it than I thought I would be. And then again, we've talked about this. I don't know how many times I've forgotten that spell queller is not in the mm-hmm. the format, but it's not. And uh, needing, okay, well, that makes that deck a lot less playable. Um, and there's just certain really important things, especially as the qualifier season is Pioneer. You see deck list and you're like, oh, I can't wait to try that. And then it's like, oh, it's missing this one card or mm-hmm. that one linchpin. And blue-white seems to be the one that's, that doesn't have that issue. And as a result, I think blue-white is very clearly the best deck. You, If you are going to be playing that on Explorer, you very much need a plan for the mirror. To your point, maybe that looks like Esper. Maybe that looks like Bant. Jeskai, traditionally, and I would argue in this format, is much better at dealing with the aggro matchups. Mm-hmm. So you might see people convert to Jeskai when... Mono red becomes what it can be, or mono white becomes what it can be. Um, but in the meantime, I just don't think we're there. And I think black or green is kind of the the splash if you want to go in that direction. But like the times that I've sat down to do it, and again, let's 
affix our tinfoil hats. Uh, I play the the mirror maybe half the time. You know, it is a lot of the mirror. Um, to this week, though, before I get to my paper turn, I do want to talk about uh, some of the other decks I've been playing in Explorer. Um, hey, when I'm just looking for a good time or I just need to get a lot of red spells cast for my quest, grinning Ignis deck, here we come. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, and this has been my experience, it's pretty dang good against the control deck. Mm. Um, yes, you can get eaten alive, but they don't play a lot of the things that can really mess you up. Yeah. Like it's almost entirely Supreme Verdict and Farewell. And really, if you can sneak in a collected company or maybe they're just not aware of what you're doing. Um, but Risen Reef is also really good against control decks because, okay, fine. Counter my three mana guy. Like, yeah, have a party, right? Um, but against some of the more dirtily mid-range stuff, it's also quite good. Um, I've been playing a version of just green-black rock, so I kind of ditched the red, which in the past was just for Chandra, Fable, the Mirror Breaker, and uh, Strangle, which are all very good cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of affords me a few other more interesting uh, things to play with and makes the mana slightly more streamlined. Um, and this is the kind of deck that... I feel like is going to be really good until we get to full Pioneer. Once a certain power level is achieved, certain things like Tireless Tracker and Kalidus are just not where you need to be. Like They're super great in current Explorer, mm-hmm. but I just worry about kind of where we're headed. Um, I will point out, I haven't loved different websites' coverage of Explorer. Have you experienced this where you go to look for lists? Like the Goldfish lists are just a mess. The arena zone lists are also just totally all over the place. Yeah, it, I mean, is that just based off of like not being able to get good data? <laughs> like, I, I've been trying to figure this out too. Yeah, yeah, it just seems like there's nothing. And then, like, one of the uh, empty, I think it was arena zone, like example list of Phoenix, because I was like, everybody keeps playing Phoenix. I've got this deck. I'll play it again. Uh, spoiler: I deleted the deck after three games. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, the list that I pulled up as an example still had expressive iteration is legal. Ooh. And w- okay. and that yeah. was banned like, you know, a couple months ago. So um and again, boy, that's an example of the difference between Pioneer and Explorer is Phoenix is like unplayable in Explorer. Mm-hmm. And it is. I mean, you look at the RCQ results, there's a ton of Phoenix in Pioneer. Yeah. Um All right, Cameron. So I can't remember. Have you played it in an RCQ? I have never, no. Okay, so, hey, look. They're, they're kind of a PTQ. A buddy of mine invited me to a modern RCQ. I had a random Saturday available. It was like 40 minutes away. And I'm like, cool. <sighs> and, uh, Cameron, I was just... I only have Storm for modern, which is fine. Mm-hmm. And... It's not super up to date. I looked at some lists that had 5-0'd within the last couple, three months. And they had like wish sideboards. With their, they kind of surprised me. And I drafted AFR yeah. like a, a ton. I was like, wait, there's a card called Wish? I'd totally forgotten about this. Um, so I, I tried. I, I, I just want to just get this on my chest. I know this is going to sound like ultimate first world problems. But this is an example of the kind of customer service that really drives me nuts. That I, Little things that card stores could change okay i will not give names to protect uh the accused here but Mm -hmm. i call up a shop on friday 
like during the day, like on my lunch break, like 11 o'clock saying, hey, I need these four cards for my new Wish sideboard. Mm-hmm. Um, can you pull them? And I was told, no, you must get them as a pickup online through our TCG store. Okay. Now, I do this all through my phone, and I don't know if you've ever tried to order cards through your phone, Cameron. Just a normal size iPhone. It's not great. It's not mm-hmm. a great experience. Takes me way longer than I could have. So I do that, and I hit pick up on store. And I'm going to be in a hurry. I've got my little my son with me. He wants to look at Pokemon cards, whatever. I get there. Dude's chilling behind the counter, and I'm like, hey, I reserve these cards. And I got the, well, did you get an email saying that they were ready? I said, well, it's 6 o'clock now. I ordered them at 11 o'clock. It's five cards. No, I didn't. I didn't know I was supposed to wait for confirmation. So then they look me up on the computer, and the guy says, oh, you didn't pay. You just click pick up in store. We don't pull the cards unless you pay first. And I felt like I was, you know that episode of Seinfeld with the reservations? So you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just take them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anybody can just take them. It's the holding of the reservation that matters. So anyway, I have to wait for this dude to find these cards when I'm in a hurry. It's the ultimate first world problem, and I want to get that out of the way. But it makes me never want to buy from this card shop ever again. That's frustrating. Right? Yeah. I didn't yeah. throw a fit. I was totally nice to the guy. I didn't, But it's just like these are the really basic things that I wish card shops would do. Right? Then I show up to the RCQ realizing I'm missing a card, go to buy it, and the lady behind the counter tells me, hey, we don't sell cards before events. And this is like 20 minutes before, and I'm missing a singular card. And again, fine if that's the rule, and I don't know necessarily why that's the rule, but fine if that's the rule. But guess how many places that was posted, Cameron, before Mm -hmm. I got into this event? Do you know what I mean? Like, there was no way I would have known that before going in. No. So I I rocked the 14-card sideboard. Um, And not it didn't have any effect on anything, but it's just like... This is the frustration that I have, Cameron, is I want to be with a good shop that has a good customer service policy that takes care of me because I will spend a ton of money with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, just had to get this off my chest to the car dealers and comic shops out there that are doing it right. Thank you. Yeah. I would love to know if there's like a a reason why a shop would not sell to you 30 minutes before an event starts. To me, it's like that's probably prime time for a shop where they can make – hundreds of dollars over the course of a year. Um, and if it's not fair, I just don't understand why it wouldn't, not, why that's different ver- versus just trading for a card 15 minutes beforehand. Yeah, and dude, we could go down a whole massive list. Like, um, outside of these like random card buying policies and holding policies, uh, please post your events more than, you know, a week ahead of time. Yeah. yeah. Right? Also, make sure you post it in more places than just Facebook. Some of us don't check our Facebook every waking second, and the algorithm isn't super friendly to us, so I don't know. I could even be following your shop, and it doesn't mm-hmm. show me, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So if you just post that on your website, I mean, I know it might be hard to update your WordPress at this point or whatever, but like just these like really basic level things. I know we should do a whole segment on what could make car- what makes a good card shop better than a 
mediocre one. Mm-hmm. But it's just like these kinds of things. Just want to get that off my chest. Anyway, so modern RCQ. I show up with a dated version of Storm that's missing an important card. Whatever. Right? It is noticeable, notable because you might say, well, Curtis, it's a one sideboard card. Well, it's a Wish sideboard. So, like, so, yeah. <laughs> and the card that I was missing was Past in Flames to Wish for. So uh, that was a yeah. little bit of a drag. So anyway... I was aware that I would have very bad matchups against Murktide because the last time I played Modern, I had bad matchups. However, one of the decks that's really taken off are these four or five color Yorian Elemental decks. And I assumed that I would have a very good matchup against those. So here's what happened. I won round one against Affinity, won round two against five color Elementals, and the match played out like I expected it would. Like, the dude played something like a Risen Reef on turn three, and then I killed him, right? Like, it was pretty straightforward stuff. Then I lost round three to um, Mono White, right? Um, and then I lost round four to Lip Blue Living End and lost round five to Death Shadow. So I'll kind of expect things. I would say I was super rusty, did not play well. Wish for a card that I didn't have enough mana for at one point because I'd yeah. never played the card. So just really boneheaded plays that I was super rusty with, and I, I knew that would be the case. But I also had a really good time in the tournament. I know there's a lot of complaints about RCQs not having judges. This had two judges that were really good. Um, and there were only 32 players, dude. So I showed up to what, ostensibly a, a, a pre-PTQ, and it was five rounds. How awesome Good. is that? That's great. Yeah. You know, so um, we did our five rounds, and it was kind of like, okay, time to go home. <laughs> and uh, that was awesome. The The store credit, the prize structure was really nice, um, and everybody was super, super cool. Like, all my opponents were very kind. It was just like getting back to, like, high-level competitive magic tournament. It wasn't like an FNM or something like that or a pre-release Everybody was really interested in doing things correctly and all that. So I had a really great experience in terms of the community, talking bad beats with friends, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Can I ask, uh, yeah. did you see a lot of the Raghavan, Merktide region, blue-red deck? No. I think a lot of people were targeting that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that deck is the overall best deck, but the decks they beat up on it were very much, there was a lot of five-color there. Uh, Blue Living End, which, just to kind of rewind the tape a little bit, before all these elementals were printed, like Solitude or Endurance or whatever, the Living End matchup for Storm was amazing. Mm. And I knew I knew it probably wouldn't be now. Boy, that panned out. Not mm. only are they playing four Force Negations, four Grief to make me discard. Oof. And then they're playing some number of endurance, which is the elemental that makes you put your whole graveyard on the bottom of your library. So like, and that's like main deck cards that they have against me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's rough. So, uh, so I all those things were really great. And again, the five color elemental deck, um, I assumed it would be a good matchup. That was one that was good. The mono white matchup, I think, is kind of coin flippy. Uh, Archon, which is the new card that says players can only play one card per turn, and can't remember what the other thing is, but basically, it's like a, you know, it's a one one play a, a turn effect. Really made a huge difference. Um, but I also failed to go off on one of the games because I didn't have a pass on flames for my wish sideboard. So, what are you gonna do? Um, I feel like though the outside of those random things, I really feel like 
I if I would have taken it a little more seriously and prepared, I would have played Murktide. Um, anyway, uh, the downside is Cameron, and again, I, I'm not trying to be a broken record, don't really love the modern format. There were too many moments, and I know this is coming from a guy that played Storm. I didn't really find the matches to be super interactive or enjoyable. Mm. Um, I think if I were to play the format with something more akin to Death Shadow, I would have gotten more enjoyment out of it. Um, but the the decks that are super good right now, I think, are very hard to like. Um, I mean, I'm telling sure. you I would play Murktide. I don't really like that deck. I don't like the current incarnation of Death Shadow. I really don't like five-color elementals, and I hate Blue Living In. So, like... <laughs> I mean, I was sitting there looking at decks, and I was like, is Tron really the thing I should be playing? <laughs> Crazy. It's probably you know, one of the cheapest, right? I mean, like, that's a well, pretty yeah. cheap deck, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what do you... I, the, the weird thing is, like, all the cards are super expensive, but the land costs nothing, so I pro- it probably is the cheapest, though. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. But, it kind, I mean, I really would have gotten the full like positive experience if it was a pioneer tournament i feel like oh yeah for or sure. a standard tournament um so i just had a lot of beef and people would say well don't you think ravagan ravagon plays fine or whatever and it's like to me it's more about the principle of the thing that mm-hmm. they printed this hyper expensive thing out of clean nowhere for you to get you know and there yeah. wasn't a real way to draft it so it's not so much of a hang up because the the argument now is ragavan plays super well in the context of an unfair format. I don't know that I necessarily agree. I don't think that's a ludicrous claim. Mm-hmm. But it's like, do I play Raghavan by Raghavans? Or do I just go buy an entire modern deck or, t- or a pioneer deck or two? The latter. You know? Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a real tough thing to come to in terms of an investment. Um, but anyway, that's my overall modern experience R- uh, RCQ thing. Uh, if you get a chance, go to one, Cameron. It's it's a good time. Yeah, there's some that appear every once in a while, but yeah, I should definitely check it out. I feel like, especially a sealed one, mm, you yeah, might man. really like. So um, anyway, if anybody has some like good ideas for ex- uh, modern decks that I should get into, I'm, I'm interested. I'm willing to hear that. So Cameron, there's not a ton of news this week. Like, the most interesting thing that's popped up is some of the RCQs had zero judges. <laughs> um, yeah. That was not mine. I had a good judging staff at mine, so whatever. Uh, but I do want to talk about some of the stuff we've been watching. There's quite a bit to talk about there. So let's cut off the magic conversation, come back, and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron, kind of an unusual one to talk about today. The Sandman, yeah. which... I don't know that I understand the controversy with HBO Max um, and what's going on there, but it seems wild to me that this is on Netflix and not a like premium series on HBO, the company that owns Sandman ostensibly. So, again, that that's not really clicking with me in any meaningful way, but... It says here that you've been revisiting the comic. Have you also watched the show, or kind of where are you at on that process? Yeah, so actually, it's because of revisiting the show that I'm revi- I'm, I'm sorry, watching the show that I'm revisiting the comic. Um, I, I think I'll start with just um, Sandman in general. Once again, very foundational to I think our relationship. Uh, you had given me uh, a Neil Gaiman book, American Gods, uh, in college when we were just starting to hang out and whatnot. Um, and that really connected. And then I was just kind of on this big, um, Neil Gaiman, you know, 
train of just trying to consume all his stuff. And one of the last things, sadly, that I had read with, of his was the Sandman series, um, which is his masterpiece. Like, I think, yeah, hands down, yeah. it's it's his masterpiece. Um, it, it's just so moody, so good, so, like, gothic. Um, and it's such a great, just a great comic book that um, is one of the very first comics for me to just make me fully appreciate that it doesn't have to be Superman and Spider-Man, you know, right. like those are great. And I, I, I have nothing against those, but just this and fa- like this led me to fables, which led me to, you know, like we can go on and on and on with all these other like great um, comics that exist and are, I think just a testament to the art form. Um, and that, is what I kind of want to, I guess, bridge between revisiting this comic and watching Sandman. So I'm three episodes into Sandman, um, and it's good. I mean, it's like well produced. It looks great. I think they did a really good job with the casting. Um, you know, I mean, Neil Gaiman is heavily involved in it, so like all that stuff is incredible. My wife, who's not familiar with it, she's interested in in the series, but um, she hasn't read the comics. We watched the first episode, and as an episode, I felt the first one was very slow. Like, it took mm-hmm. a long time for it to build up, and it's like, okay, where are they heading with this? And it was, um, you know, whatever. It, it, it's totally fine, and I totally get it from the comic standpoint that it's good. But here's the thing of why like a, a comic property is important and that I think you should revisit Sandman or you should visit Sandman for the first time is because it's a unlike a TV show with an editor who's determining the pacing and determining the action you're seeking everything in that comic you create you're creating a pace you're creating uh, you're, you're filling in the blanks as far as like how that action is happening um, and you can create a sense of pace very slow or very fast um, with a comic. And um, I don't know, it's just a different medium, but that Sandman, like if you're judging the TV show um, without experiencing this, this without experiencing, I guess the comic first, um, I don't know, some, somehow I feel like you're robbing yourself of, uh, of like this incredible experience. So I don't know what I'm saying other than I'm enjoying the TV show, but Absolutely. If you're have an inkling at all, like make my wife read the whole Sandman series because she is interested now. And um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just something really, really special. And it's its own art form that I I really think that um, can stand on its own. Yeah, um, I'm very much there. Like I would say I'm like B minus on the show so far. Like it's definitely not bad. God, I've sat through worse adaptations. And I will say I'm no stranger to the like the hammy adapt like I liked Titans on the DC streaming service. I like silly ones and all that. But I would say with the Vertigo ones, specifically Sandman, but this was kind of a problem with the Swamp Thing series too, is some of this stuff doesn't translate very well to screen. Yeah. And there's so much of Sandman, especially as it goes on, because by the way. These first few storylines are about as clean and practical to film as you can get. Like, it's only going to get more off the map. 
right? With mm-hmm. some of these things. Um, gosh, it's really hard for me to talk about how I feel about this comic series without sounding like over the top, but it is a masterpiece. I think it's on, it's kind of like what Lord of the Rings is to fantasy fiction. Yeah. Like it is a really big thing for Vertigo. Um, like indie comics, and it's not really indie, and I know that, please don't message me, but what I'm saying is this kind of perspective on what a comic book is and how far it can go and how in-depth it can be is really important. I would also say as a kid that grew up in a, um, a very isolated in the Midwest, this really opened my eyes to a lot of things that you might take for granted like right now. Like For example, there's a whole issue devoted to Ramadan. And I had literally zero clue what that was, mm. right? And when there's no internet or things like this, you just kind of have to absorb it through a book. And so more than just about any other comic book or book, I did more cultural traveling in Sandman as a middle schooler slash high schooler than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. it, it is really a stunning piece of work on that level, too. Um and I'm, I'm hoping that this really juices what it is. But, I mean, I've had the same Sandman trades for, you know, 20 years up on my desk and or on my bookshelf. It's the same ones I've loaned to my wife, my brother-in-law, all this. Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an awesome story. And I hope they do it some level of justice. And I feel like they're doing okay. I mean, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's a TV show. And I do feel like they're framing the villain stuff as maybe a little too important. Um, and I... I, there's like some of the stuff like Cain and Abel, I don't think translates super great um, across the things, uh, across the mediums. It is hard to watch it and not see a 90s, late 90s, early 2000s goth culture. Yeah. And now that's kind of become this commercialized, you know, this is like pre even pop punk. So pre, pre even or goth pop punk like AFI yeah. or whatever. It's yeah. like before all that. And so now when you look at somebody and they're wearing all black and they have like this kind of flock of seagulls haircut kind of thing, you know, you put all this stuff, this extra cultural baggage that has happened since then. Um, so bottom line is read that. The other books you met or we mentioned, Swamp Thing, Fables, yeah. all the Vertigo line stuff, really, really, really good. Really good. And Super much better good. as books. Yeah. And important, um, like I, I, I just it, it's as important to like a, a a comics education as you know Spider Man Amazing Fantasy number fifteen, right? I mean, it's right yeah. up there. You have to read it. Stanley, any of his stuff, yeah. etc. Yeah. Um. So, Cameron, what do you know about Prey? Uh, the video game, or are we talking a show? <laughs> the movie. Oh, I the don't know anything about the movie. Okay, so. Dan Trachtenberg, who was on the Totally Rad show. Okay, yes, yeah. It is his new film, and it is a Predator film, okay? Yeah. So worth knowing. Um, and I just want to caution people. So I sat down to watch it not knowing that the whole movie is, was actually filmed in spoken Comanche. Because the the the, the storyline takes place amongst the Comanche tribe in like the early 1700s. I want to say it's like 1720. But you have to go find that in the audio settings. There's no pop-up. There's no alert that tells you, hey, do you want to watch this in English or Comanche? So I watched it in English not knowing that that was a thing. Um, Crazy. And yeah. that was kind of a bummer just knowing 
and, and from like, look, obviously I don't, I don't understand Comanche, but the point was, is like, I kind of like the idea of watching it in that and seeing this kind of like new perspective on it. Um, I like a lot of eighties kids kind of like the original predator. Oh yeah. And I think I've seen predator two maybe once and I've never seen any other ones and I don't care about the lore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's kind of like aliens. The lore has gotten so cheap and silly and everywhere that I don't really care anymore. Not that I ever did in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is the best action movie I've seen since Fury Road. Um, oh, wow. Whoa. Okay. And it's not quite to the production. Like, nothing is. Yeah. Name a movie. It's not up to the production standards of Fury Road. But the take on action in it. So, first of all. This is like what you want a movie to be that's an action movie. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. Mm. Massive vistas. And it's real strong focus on storyline. There is this Comanche warrior. She's, I think she's like late teens or something. She wants to be a warrior, but not necessarily respected in that way. I'm sorry, a hunter. And her tribe stumbles upon, you guessed it, a predator. And, you know, hilarity ensues. Um... But it is not the same, you know, most dangerous game kind of story. By adding this new cultural lens and adding these really inventive action set pieces to it, it really brings it to a different level. And it is really, like, I'm not trying to get too deep in the woods here, but there are a lot of things that cheap movies do that could look better if they had the time, right? Mm -hmm. This movie is clearly not expensively made, but they do a lot of things to make it feel more expensive. Long takes, for example, um, and things like that that are like, it's not expensive in terms of actual dollars to put it on the screen. It's expensive in terms of you have to do that long take over the course of like two or three days, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but it is, I, I, I really hesitate to spoil anything. There's nothing super surprising. It follows the structure of the original Predator. Surprise, surprise. But the action is just so inventive and cool, and like you just don't see Native Americans portrayed portrayed really in this way very often. Apocalypto is the last time I could really, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, kind of put like a thought to it. And it is this like I mean, this plate takes place in the Upper Great Plains, so you know, literally like 400 miles away from where I'm currently at, and I know nothing. I know nothing about this stuff. And so, you know, is it like this true historical thing? No, but it adds that little bit of interest and you might actually freaking learn something along the way. Um, But at the end of the day, dude, it's just a really cool action movie. Like just super cool. Yeah. Sit down, pop some popcorn, get those lights dim, Cameron. I mean, what's your your action movie food of choice? Is it popcorn? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends if we're at a theater, we're, we're, we're doing some popcorn and probably some Sour Patch Kids. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm a peanut butter cup man. That, that yeah, shouldn't yeah, surprise anyone. <laughs> um, but anyway, dude, so, hey, uh, an hour and 45 minutes, very well spent. Just awesome. uh, if you're interested in watching the alternate language version, I would, everybody online says that's great, too. So anyway, Cameron, if someone would like to play the most dangerous game with you, where could they find you? <laughs> That's all on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. I think I've just come up with a really good metaphor for Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I am at Curtis now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We will check you guys next week.